Good morning, Springbrook family. I want to thank you for getting out in this weather to come and uh, keep your appointment with God to worship Him on a weekly basis as a family. Uh, but I tell you, it's cold outside, but it's warm in here. And we all get together and just sing together and worship His name. Now, I've been going through a study of First Peter, and I took a break for... Uh, talking about worship-based prayer. And uh, now I'm taking a two-week break to talk about generosity. It's something we talk about every year because it's such an important issue. So we'll talk about this week and next week, and then we'll finish up with First uh, Peter as we head toward Easter. Now, Jesus Christ was the master teacher. People came from all over the world to hear him. Thousands and thousands of people. And he used something very simple, a simple story called a parable. A parable. And a parable is simply a simple earthly story that has a much deeper spiritual meaning about the kingdom. So I'm going to just tell you two stories that are found in Matthew 13. You can turn there or they're in their message notes. But I'm just going to te- kind of tell them and uh, add some background information. Jesus said, okay, there's this uh, man. And he is working on the property of another man. He's maybe plowing or uh, tilling the land. But in some way, he finds buried treasure. Buried treasure. And so he gets down and he looks at it. And he is filled with joy. Unbelievable joy. I mean, this is like something he never dreamed of. Whatever it was, it was extremely valuable. Now, we ask, well, what was it doing buried in the ground? Well, that was, of course, very common back in that day. In the sense that they didn't have banks. They didn't have... Stocks and bonds to invest in. So they would invest in precious jewels and other things that were worth some money so they could sell them when they needed the money. And then what they would do many times is they didn't want to keep them in their house because people could break in. So they would dig a hole in one of their fields and bury it and mark the spot in some way in order that it might be kept safe. Now this is really true uh, in the land of Palestine, because that piece of land, more wars have been fought there over the millennia and will still be fought there. So what they would do is when they knew that a war was going to take place and that someone was trying to come in and conquer their country, they would take all their valuables, everything they had, and they would bury it until the battle was over. And they dig it up and leave some treasures there. And so that was just the nature of life back in that day. So, this man finds this treasure. So what does he do? Says he hides it, and then he goes off and he sells everything that he has in order to buy this land. He sells his house, he sells his equipment. He sells his furniture, sells his donkey. If he had an iPhone, I'm sure he'd sell that. 
Because again, I mean, this treasure was unbelievable. He could buy multiple phones <laughs> with this kind of money. All right? So he just gives his whole life. He says, this is the most important thing in my life, and I am going to procure it. Now, some people might be saying, now, wait a second. That treasure was on another person's property. Doesn't it belong to them? Well, the rabbinic law stated in that day that where you have fruit or scattered money, if you find it, it's yours. You know, finders, keepers. <laughs> so he could have just taken the treasure and walked off. But he was more ethical than that. So he bought the property. Now, of course, if the owner did have treasure on that property, he certainly would have removed it before he sold it, right? So it was probably from, who knows, 10, 100 years ago, whatever the treasure was, somebody else had buried it there. But he is just overjoyed that he has found this. Let me give you an illustration. I got this off CNN, a recent news story, in terms of how he probably responded. Let's look at the clip. Powerball jackpot has come forward. So we're learning it's 26 year old Marie Holmes from North Carolina. She's telling our affiliate WECT she thought she was going to have a heart attack when she checked the ticket. I don't know if I want to cry. <laughs> now I would. Like, I'm just, I'm just grateful for this moment. I'm thankful that I can bless my kids with something that I didn't have. First, I'm going to pay my tithes because I wouldn't have none of it went for guys. Officials from the lottery have not verified this yet, so it's not official. But Holmes has four children, one of whom has cere cerebral palsy. Now, before taxes, keep this in mind. That ticket would be worth $127 million if she takes the lump sum payment. Good for her. <laughs> I love how she says she's going to tie it to the church, right? Does God provide it? I love the guy. We're rich. We're rich. He's telling the whole world. And that's exactly how this guy was when he found the treasure. We're rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. I'm rich. Such joy because his life had totally been transformed in a moment. There's another parable that's very similar to this. The next parable talks about a man who is a wholesaler of pearls. So he buys pearls in bulk and sends it out to the different retailers. And he was always looking for precious pearls. So what he'd do is he'd go around and study all these pearls. And sometimes he would find a very, very valuable pearl that was underpriced. They didn't realize how expensive this pearl should be because it was incredible. So that's what he does. And pearls were like diamonds back in that day. Uh, they were a sign of wealth. Uh, they were a great investment. It was really dangerous, though, uh, to gather pearls. What they did back in that day without any modern equipment is they would tie rocks to their bodies. And then they would jump off into the Persian Gulf or the Red Sea and then 
they would quickly drop to the bottom. Now, they took a long breath and held it before they, <laughs> before they did this. And then they just had a few moments to scour the sea to see if they could find any oysters. And the problem was that if they went too low, their bodies would burst. The other problem was if they ran out of air and couldn't get quite back up there. There were many people that died diving for pearls. But they did it anyway because pearls were so very, very valuable. In fact, Cleopatra had two pearls, uh, and each was worth like $500,000 each. And back in that day, it was like 20 times the buying power that we have today. It's like $20 million. There's a way that they showed their wealth. So this guy, he finds this pearl that somehow, some way, somebody did not know the value of it. I mean, again, same thing. It's of such great value that he sells everything in order to buy that one pearl. Now let's look at these parables. We see in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In his joy. So what the treasure is, is the kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When finding one pearl of great value, went and sold it all. And bought it. Friends, what these parables teach us is that if you're a Christ follower, if you have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have an unbelievable gift that's been given to you. And it's just so exciting. It's really talking about a person becoming a Christ follower when they first find Jesus. Isn't it great to hang around new Christians? Oh, man, they're on fire. I've been a Christian since I was five. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like, oh, I know that. I don't know that. But I tell you, everything is new to them. They're going, what? Hey, did you know the Bible said that? Hey, i got to stop doing that. <laughs> and your heart just, uh, just is filled. Because you see the transformative power of the gospel working in that person's life. The gospel is so powerful. It is so valuable. And we need to celebrate it. I really believe uh, that a lot of people don't feel close to God and really get nothing out of their spiritual lives because they really don't understand that they're children of God. Let's look at the transformation again when a person enters the kingdom. Ephesians 2, 1, 4 through 5. By, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Right there, oh my, that's, that's something you could uh, worship the Lord in prayer about, right? Rich in mercy, great love which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So again, very familiar passage, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. This tells the 
unbelievable miracle that takes place. Because you see, as when we're all born, uh, we're dead spiritually. Now again, if a child dies before you know the age of accountability or they able to understand the gospel, you know, they'll go to heaven. But the point is, we're all dead spiritually. And God is the one who moves in us and He resurrects us from the dead. How many are Walking Dead fans out there? You know, Walking Dead fans out there? All right. Grand back there. Well, here's a picture of uh, Rich Grimes, the sheriff, and uh, uh, zombies that want to eat him, I guess. <laughs> I've watched the show, but you really have to watch the whole thing because it moves along quite slowly. But the point is, I love this illustration because those zombies are people who are living physically but spiritually dead. And Rich Grimes is a guy in this illustration who's a Christ follower, and he is living physically, and he also is spiritually alive. The contrast is so helpful for us. So many times, you know, we go to church and become a Christ follower and things like that, and we think, you know, there's not a big difference between us and people who don't know Jesus. Well, there is a big difference. And I've encouraged you before as you go to Walmart or you're out and about or in your neighborhood and just start seeing zombies, right? Zombies, you're on the interstate. You know, pray for those zombies. Now, again, you don't know where they are spiritually, but you can bet that a majority of them are zombies, Okay. And just get that picture in your head because if you saw a zombie and you had the gospel to bring them to light, don't you think you would do that? You'd look at them and say, you look terrible. You really have a tough life, I mean, going around trying to eat people. You know, i got a much better deal for you here. And <laughs> when do we do that? But the funny thing is, is that we're so a part of this world and... Uh, we ourselves are so sinful that when we look at other people, we're comparing ourselves and saying, well, they've got a great life. Here I am, a Christian, and look what all they got. And they could care less about God. So we look at them as saying they have a better life than ours, when that's impossible. If you're a Christ follower, it's impossible to have a better life than the wealthiest man in the world who is not a Christ follower. But you see, this is something that we need to meditate upon, we need to think about, and we need to make a part of every day because we forget so easily. We forget so easily. In fact, uh, you have on your message notes your identity in Christ. Uh, And we're going to just go through a couple of these, but this is a great tool to get excited about your part of the kingdom of God. So let's just read these together. The first one is, I am God's child. I am a friend. Say it with me. I am a friend of Jesus Christ. We've got to start over again. A little more energy here, okay? <laughs> this is the valuable pearl that has been found. This is the treasure that was buried where they would sell everything. And that's what we got to realize, you know, as we, we grow as Christ followers and we come to appreciate this treasure 
every day and it's endless. You just keep seeking and seeking and finding more and more of it. You realize, I'll give my life for this. Because Jesus gave His life for me. So let's start over. A little more energy. Okay? I am God's child. I am a friend of Jesus Christ. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord. And I am one with Him in spirit. I have been brought with a price. And I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I have been chosen by God and adopted as His child. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. Now that's just a portion of them. You know, we've been talking about worship-based prayer. And that's something we're really trying to drive into our ministry, into our hearts. That that's just the way we pray. That we always start with our Bibles open to praise. And friends, I tell you, I would encourage you, every day this week, I want you to read through these in the morning. Because that will set your mind straight on who you are. And that will change your perspective on the day. And then after that, I want you, just like that uh, man whose wife had won the lot of work, so why don't you stand up with me? We'll try this, okay? All right? So what I want you to do, stand up, everybody. You guys are so hesitant. Come on. Wake up. Now, you should read through these. And wherever you might be, in your car, in your house, I want you to yell out, I'm rich! I'm rich! You do it twice, just like the guy did, okay? Okay, let's try it. Ready? I'm rich! I'm rich! That's good. I like that. Let's do it one more time. I'm rich! I'm rich! Alright, you may be seated. Because you are rich, but the world tells you every day that you are missing out on all types of things. You don't have any wealth. You are living a sorry life. When you are living a richer life, you've got Jesus Christ. You've got the treasure of the kingdom of God that you can enjoy and be just surrounded with love and acceptance and just growing more and more to become like Jesus Christ. So when we talk about worship-based prayer, this is a great tool. Because all you have to do is take one of these things that identify you and you have to look at the verse and just worship God for that. Like, I'm a child of God. Read the verse and read the verse back to God. Uh, worship-based prayer is sometimes difficult for people because they're not used to it. But again, it's the biblical model for prayer. So I would encourage you to do that uh, this week. Let's see. All right. Let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 4 or 5. The key question is here, how do we respond? How do we respond to a God that gave His life in order that we might not have to experience His wrath? How do we respond to a God that loves us perfectly? How do we 
respond to a God has said, I am going to take care of you no matter what happens. I'm going to be there for you and one day I will usher you into eternity. How do we respond to that? Look at this verse. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, our Lord. With ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. Friends, if Jesus Christ has bought your freedom with His sacrifice, it's like, hey, God, I am totally yours. I mean, you died for me, you... you Covered my sins. You, I mean, I'm going to live in the kingdom of God. I'm going to think like a kingdom citizen. And it's not easy. But through the power of the Holy Spirit and your willingness, you need to make, need to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. And many times that's a second decision that people make. But really it's a continual decision. Because we don't make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives, Right? He's Lord of our lives anyway. <laughs> what we need to do is to submit to His Lordship. That's what it really means, making Jesus Christ Lord. I'm going to submit to your Lordship. I'm going to submit to the truths found in this book. I'm going to walk with you, Jesus Christ, and you'll live through me, and the Holy Spirit will empower me, and I am going to live for you. That's what lordship is all about. And it impacts our, our everyday life. This past weekend, Fifty Shades of Grey came out in a motion picture. Now, if you followed the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy written by E.L. James, uh, it really was off of Twilight uh, writings that, that came all about. So it came came together in that way. But, you know, the books were very disturbing. And, of course, the movie is very disturbing. But did you know that that movie, let's see, it was the highest first opening day in February of any movie in February that was released. $30 million dollars. Thirty million dollars, and you know, Satan set it all up. He's been doing it all, and people just bid on it, right? Passion of the Christ came out on a Wednesday, and that earned twenty-six million dollars. Sex sells, but it is just so perverted. I was reading some different reviews online. It's not getting good reviews from the critics. In fact, the critics give it a twenty-six percent. Rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, and those who saw it give it a 52%. I mean, it's just not a great movie. It's a, it's a well, uh, a poorly put together movie. But the problem is, is that it's all about sex. And I, friend, friends, that, that the movie is filled with pornography. And the female character, uh, it says, it reveals all of her, but they don't show all of the male ca- character. That's how they got out of having an NC-17 rating. But it's pornography on the screen. And it was pornography in the book. And it's just so damaging to our culture. Now, of course, you have all this Internet porn and things of that nature. 
But when a major motion picture comes out with all the different elements that make it so perverted in God's eyes, uh, that's just to remind us about what culture we live in. Uh, We are not citizens here. Uh, The abuse of women. I mean, everybody's speaking out about this movie. Conservatives, Christians, and women's right groups. Because basically you have this woman who is a college student, a virgin, and then you have this guy uh, who's into sadomasochism. And so that's what the story is about. Great Valentine date movie, right? Is that what it says there? Valentine's Day? Valentine's Day? What are you talking about? That's the worst thing you could go to at any time. And, and again, the kids in our culture, the college people in our culture, go to these movies, especially this movie, and it really is becoming a problem in the sense that when guys are addicted to porn on the Internet, they have to continue to go to more violent and you know, more intense porn to get the same type of high from it. So that means that all these guys out there are seeing sadomasochism as well, that's a good way, a good way to have sex and everything, and now it's endorsed here and... In fact, friends, it's fueling violence against women. That's what pornography always does. It uses women just as uh, you know, things to use, not, not real people. In fact, uh, I heard a statistic that one out of five women on college university campuses are raped. Now, that sounds really high, but... Even if it was 10, I mean, why? Because men are feeding on pornography and they're feeding on all kinds of sick, perverted sexual practices and they just figure, hey, this is the way it is, you know? And friends, oh, it's just, it defiles a marriage bed and it's something we should be concerned about. In fact, probably, I would think the majority of us didn't see it for mature Christ followers. Now, if you did happen to read the books or see it, you need to know that that is not what God wants you to be viewing. Okay? You've got to feed His Word into your head and positive things instead of the things of this world. And so, if you read the book or saw the movie, you just repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I followed my laws. I didn't know. Whatever. Just repent and then move on. And then you continue to grow as a Christ follower. This is also a tremendous opportunity to be able uh, to witness to others. Because everybody's going to be talking about it this week. You know that, don't you, right? Everybody's going to be talking about it. And depending upon your personality style, I would just chime in and say, if you'll say, if you can go on the Internet and read some of the reviews, and say, you know, I read some of the reviews and... I was kind of bothered by it and the way they treated women and uh, just what it's teaching young people about sex and whatever you feel led to share by the Spirit. But it's a perfect opportunity because many of you will be in a conversation this week with a non-Christian about this movie. And so you just tell them your opinion there. You're shining a light. And hey, this is wrong. Okay. So ask the Lord, you pray for opportunities to witness. Pray that opportunities would come up where people would, would engage you. 
And especially this week, you've got a great uh, illustration of what's wrong uh, with this world. It reminds me of the verse in Romans 1.24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now, when you think of your maturity in Christ, you know how far you're along in terms of understanding the Christian life and becoming a kingdom citizen, thinking like that. Many times we think of, yeah, well, I'm not going to that movie, and I'm not doing this, and I am doing this, and this, and this. But what you'll find, that's very interesting, that Jesus Christ says is a barometer of your spiritual maturity is how generous you are toward God. Why is that? Because God knows that your heart, uh, well, your money follows your heart, right? And you're going to invest your money in, in things, cars, stuff, whatever. Uh, invest your stuff in experiences like vacations. Or There's so many ways you can invest money and treasure on this earth. And He knows that uh, you're really not totally committed to Him. Because you haven't shown it in the way you give. And, hey, this is all over the New Testament. I think there's like 500 verses on prayer and 1,500 verses on money. Now, why is that? Because God knows the true way to tell our spiritual temperature is what we give to Him and how generous we are with Him. Look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures. Of course, you're just talking about treasures. The treasure of the kingdom of God. On earth. Don't spend all your money doing that. Because where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So in that day, they had their wealth in their clothing, uh, jewels and things of that nature. And then... Uh, but, but the moths are going to come, right, and destroy it. Uh, they also uh, talk about rust. And that speaks of a, a farmer and his granary and, and how the insects eat the grain away. And where thieves break in and steal, or either they found where you've buried your treasure, or sometimes people would put it in a secret place in their house. They were mud houses so they could cover them up. What he's saying is that nothing in this world that you own is going with you when you go to heaven. So don't lay up your treasures on earth. If you just bought a new car or a nice used car, you know where that thing is going to be in 20 years? It's going to be in a junkyard because it's junk. In fact, anything that we value materially, it's going to end up there. And that's why he says, don't spend your time, your resources, in being generous toward yourself to fulfill your desires. But he says, be generous toward God. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. I tell you what, man, if you want the perfect investment, (laughs) 
You invested in God. You, I mean, just because of all He's done for you, and He's Lord of your life, your life is centered around Him. So as you have resources, uh, you're generous to the kingdom of God and, and your finances. And that's what particularly He's talking about here. But you think about your time. As people are serving, I, I thanked all the worship team for getting here so early on such a cold day. Because again, they were being generous toward God. They were showing worship to Him by serving and being here. Uh, again, your skills, your abilities, how are you using those? How are you being generous with those in the kingdom of God? So, the key to this is verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your money follows your heart. If you got your heart set on one thing that's bringing you great satisfaction, that's where your heart is going to be. That's where you're really going to value and what you might worship. And what God is saying, the one thing I want more than anything is your heart. I want you to be all about me. That's a process, but again, it's the idea I'm going to submit myself to Christ and I'm going to be generous. Generous in every way to Him because of what He has done for me. So again, if you want to know where your heart is, you just look at uh, your computer program, Quicken, or your checkbook and see where the money's going. Okay, And it's not the amount of money. It's not the amount of money at all because we all have different incomes and things of that nature. It's, it's the attitude. And this is a question I want you to reflect upon as uh, you go through this week. Am I being generous toward God in giving to His kingdom? Am I being generous in giving money to God, my resources to Him, because He's been so generous to me? Just reflect upon that. Let the Spirit speak to you about that. And uh, again, Jesus says that's the best barometer is uh, how you spend your money. Well, we'll continue this next week. Uh, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, oh Lord, thank You so much. Thank You for the incredible treasure that I discovered when I was five years old and I've been studying, enjoying since that time and will continue to give me the heart and passion to continue to seek out your treasure. I, say, I pray the same thing for my friends. And I pray that we will all go to prayer and we would just... Ask the Holy Spirit and reflect upon the question, am I being generous toward God? In Christ's name, amen.